0: Just earlier this week, I was up in Kalamazoo, Michigan, for this week's USTA Boys 18-16s national champions, what it's often referred to as the Super Bowl of American Junior Tennis. If you're able to win the 18s main draw, you get that precious main draw wild card into the U.S. Open. If you win that 16s, you get it into the Junior Open. And of course, it being such a big event, college coaches galore at the event I went I sniffed around, you know, talking to people about the USC opening, talking about who's coming back, what guys are having. And great summers and maybe are thinking about making that jump to the pros. In that spirit, college tennis is on my mind, and I have the perfect guest for tonight's Cracked Interviews podcast. For our big fans of college tennis, you definitely know him for, from his time as a Baylor Bear. Uh, he was you know, number one doubles player in the country earlier in the season with his partner Sven Law, a 2019 ITA All-American. Something that's very impressive to me, an eight-time Big 12 Commissioner's Honor Roll selection. I'm sure that's the one his parents are most proud of, so that's where we'll end off. Jimmy Bendek, welcome to the Cracked
1: Interviews podcast. Hey, Alex. Thanks for having me.
0: I mean, seriously, I'm looking at this, four-time academic All-Big Ten, three-time ITA scholar-athlete, Elite 90 Award winner, Dr. Gerald Lodge, Academic Achievement Award recipient. I know you are graduating, I think, in a couple of weeks, I heard August 17th. Uh, just with all of, you know, just looking at that academic resume, I believe you're a double major as well. How did you find time for all of that in playing college tennis? Wow, that's a that's a tough yeah, question to start. Yeah, hot questions. <laughs> Look, you know, and Jimmy, we're going to have a lot of fun, I promise, listeners. That I know that is a hot intro. Look, I'm a big fan that, of Oh, your...
1: uh, That's awesome. Um, I think the biggest thing was just, you know, really early on, I really cared about studying and um, I didn't really do a lot other than study and play <laughs> tennis. I did do some social things, but mainly it was like I would take notes and then I would rewrite my notes. And it was kind of just... I wanted a 4.0 so bad that nothing was going to stop me. I did whatever it took to to find a way to get an A in classes. I built good relationships with professors, Um, you know, obviously playing and traveling made it difficult. But it's really not it wasn't that difficult to mix just because I spent I really spent a lot of time, especially early on studying and and maximizing like studying techniques to, to make sure I got good grades.
0: And look, you as I mentioned, you reached number one in the country in doubles. You were an All-American. That's, that's the type of accolades you strive for on the tennis court. But I just wanted to stress that because, again— So impressed with that part. I think the student part of student-athlete so often gets lost. And, you know, obviously for you, that was not the case. But, Jimmy, welcome to the Cracked Interviews podcast. I know you you are a big uh, college tennis slappy, obviously, a recent graduate of the Baylor team. Uh, Just just in general, you know, how's that, you know, those last few months looking back, how how have you been reflecting on your college career?
1: I mean, honestly, the the end, my last year with uh, Coach Boland, as our head coach was a really incredible year you know um, obviously coach Canole was an incredible coach he was there I believe 22 years won a national championship consistently in the top you know 16 every year um, but there was a change you know and, and I learned a lot from coach Canole and then when coach Bowling came around he really made me um, love tennis again and really gave me a lot of, a lot of opportunities on the team um, and as a leader as well to, to really be the best I can be um, and that really reinvigorated my love for tennis. And obviously we had a really good year, um, myself and I, myself and Sven in doubles, but also the team. You know, we, we got to lead eight. Obviously it was a disappointing end. We thought we could win it all. You know, we had beaten Texas in the finals of the Big 12 championship. So, you know, we felt really confident and it wasn't like the story tale ending that we really wanted, but unbelievable year. You know, I, I went from someone who didn't love tennis to someone who found their love for tennis again and, and who's now going to go play pro.
0: I, I should say before we begin, you recently did an interview with Lisa Stone of Parenting Aces. I had the chance to listen to that before this podcast. I do want to recommend it to our listeners because you guys touched on so many great topics in depth. Yep. Your junior career, you know, life uh, being homeschooled, what that's like, what the training looks like. I don't want to repeat topics. You know, I want to keep the fresh questions coming your way, give you a mm-hmm. little different thing. But I do want, you know, that you started with that reflection of the big change. It seems like adversity is something that seems to have constantly. affected Affected you throughout your career and the place I want to start is I know early in your career I think you said you played your first boys 18s tournament when you were 12 years old so obviously you were having success Uh, can you tell our listeners you know about the injury that happened that kept you off the court for three years
1: yeah so when I just after I turned 12 I dislocated my shoulder basically warming up in a practice it was kind of a freak accident and basically a core shot followed and then over three and a half year span, I had two surgeries and it took about in total three and a half to four years to fully recover in terms of having no pain. And that's about four years after the surgery or after the injuries when I started playing my first tournament after that. So I had a pretty, um, a pretty long time where I didn't hit tennis balls with my right arm. I did play some lefty um, and I did watch a lot of tennis. My tennis coach was pretty adamant about uh, keeping my head in the game. I, I think I've watched every Nick Terry instructional video <laughs> you can watch, you know, um, you know, some killer forehand, ballistic backhand. But um, <laughs> if you've ever heard of those, but, no, of you know, course. it was, it was, it was a really, really tough experience, especially in the middle of it. You know, you, when you're in, when you're a really good tennis player and you work really hard every single day from the time you're basically eight to 12, I mean, and it sounds crazy to say eight to 12, but it re- it really was my life. Um, and then you get hurt and then it's completely gone and you don't know whether to quit or whether to move on to something else with your life. Because tennis continued to be my life from 12 to 16, even though I wasn't hitting tennis balls. I still showed up to the court. I still learned from the game. And I think that's why, that was what allowed me to, um, you know, eventually play Division One college tennis, was that my coach kept my head in the game. My coach kept believing in me. And, and my parents obviously gave me the support and the opportunity to, to do it as well.
0: You mentioned being homeschooled. I'm curious, is it like six to eight tennis videos, Nick Balteri YouTube?
1: it was it was actually kind of funny we we did you know we'd go i'd go to practice every day my coach would talk to me about tennis and then usually we'd spend one or two hours watching something with tennis or something with fitness and then uh we had a rule i could either watch espn after i was done with my schoolwork. i could watch espn discovery channel or animal planet so it was always a lot of education in uh or listen to npr (laughs) to be honest so i there's a lot of learning going on um but we talked about a lot, right? There's always conversations of uh, how to construct points, you know, how I want to transition hitting serves and hitting forehands when I get back. Because I think um, obviously my form would have had changed a lot um, when I came back just because of my shoulder. And so there's a lot of things that we talked about and, and a lot of things I learned in that process that, that was obviously have made me a better talent splitter today.
0: I want to talk about that technique change specifically and the adjustments you made. But as a fellow tennis, you know, video junkie, and maybe not instructional instructional videos because you know I know I've reached my ceiling; it's a dead end <laughs> for me, so I don't really need to be instructed. <laughs> but you know, I'm watching as much film as possible, whether it's Mike Cation on the Challenger circuit, it's YouTube highlights of. Uh, I don't want to give up their accounts because YouTube will ban them again. But you know, they know who they are. Uh, I, I guess is it for you? Are, is that something you still do? Do you still watch a lot of film? And having watched all that tennis, how does it help you prepare for the day-in, day-out
1: grind and each match you play? Yeah, I think in college, I definitely didn't watch a lot of matches. Um, I definitely watched a lot of doubles, though. I think I think I have a, a, a big passion for doubles. I, I enjoy it a lot more than singles, uh, probably because you don't have to run around as much. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I do watch a lot of doubles. I actually just like just subscribe to Tennis TV. I don't know if that's a plug, but I subscribe to Tennis <laughs> TV, and and I watch. I try to watch a match a day. Um, that's what I've been doing just because you do have some free time as a tennis player, and so obviously I'm trying to be the best I can be and, and learn as much as possible every single day. Would you watch—again, uh, these are
0: nerdy questions, so yeah, listeners, no, I so if you're— too, uh, Yeah, I'm sorry, this is— deep in the weeds. Are you watching players who are styled more similar to yourself? Is it a doubles match in particular that you're watching? I'm just curious because the idea of film study, I feel like that's not a very popular thing in terms of tennis training.
1: Well, I mean, to be honest, I, you know, I like to think of myself as a doubles expert in terms of strategy. (laughs) Um, And I'm not lying. I I really, if you guys ask any of the guys on the team, you know, if, if someone's doing something wrong in the double score, I usually, I'll usually raise my voice and be like, Hey, I think this is what you should do. Um, so I pride myself a lot in my knowledge, especially on the doubles court. Um, I but, can say For
0: the for the record, you reach number one in the country. Yeah. not a bad thing to think. You play the deuce side as well, right?
1: Yeah, I play the deuce side. See, what um, people
0: don't realize is the deuce side's the conductor because you got to make that inside backhand return. Otherwise, yeah, you're you're kaputs. I love it.
1: That's the best return. Um, but to, to to answer your question, though, I I really I'm trying to learn. Right, I'm trying to. Going to doubles is a whole different Going to pro is a whole different level. And so I'm trying to learn what are the pros doing? You know, are are they how often are they playing? I what are the patterns they are they're playing? You know, what type of player is playing certain patterns? Right. And I think, you know, as much I don't know how much I'm learning necessarily, but I'm definitely trying to to try to understand what they're doing, especially the successful doubles teams so that I can start trying it out. Right. Because I have a lot of years left to play tennis and, and there's a lot less pressure. Um, than there was when I was playing college tennis because you have to win every week in college versus in the pros, you know, it's better to work on your game for the long term. And so because you're not playing for a team, you're playing for yourself. And so the more I can try out, the more I can learn to maximize my potential is kind of what I'm looking for when I'm uh, watching doubles. So you used a
0: buzzword for me, and that was I form. I have to ask uh, because you're looking at these percentages, and I, I guess for, for context for our listeners, for me when because my serve it, it's got a little bite. You know, I'm six two. I can get a little kick on it, but look, <laughs> I'm not one of those people with a blessed shoulder that just can you know fire it out. Um, but whenever we got in trouble, the thing we always did was turn to I form because you know then I'm on the tee, he's in the center of the court. You can just change things up. What is the percent, again, very nerdy now, but is I form a big portion of things you're seeing and serving and volleying? A lot of people have stubborn coaches who maybe grew up in the 80s and it's you always got to serve and volley. You got to crash the net as much as possible. What, what sort of trends are you seeing in the current doubles game?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, there's a lot of people playing actually like, I, I guess it's a fourth position playing monster, which is slightly left or right of the of the service line. Sure. Uh, or like the middle line. I see a lot of that and that gives a lot of freedom in terms of movement. And I, I honestly, that's actually what Sven and I played a lot. We played a lot of monster just because it, it kind of puts us in the middle and makes people hit. You have to hit a good return to win the point, right? It says, hey, if you want if you want to win this point, you're going to have to hit it in a, in a one foot spot down the line, right? Or cross court. And that's kind of, uh, it kind of seems to be what the pros are doing. And I, I honestly, I, I watch, I try to watch people that serve in volley because that's what I do. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I have, I, I don't know if my sample size is accurate, so I don't know if I can answer, <laughs> um, you know, w- whether or not people serve in volley or, or stay back more, but I definitely think, you know, um, I didn't serve in volley my first three years in college, and I think my high was like 67 in the country, and then I started <laughs> serving volley in my senior year, and I was number one, so. Servant involving all the way.
0: <laughs> Look, sample size is the exact answer I expected from a double major in finance and entrepreneurship.
1: <laughs> so yeah, not and
0: by the way, in that collette interview, you used the term fiscally responsible. I swear to God that's the first time that term's been used in a tennis interview.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I, I say that pretty, off, pretty often, and, and my girlfriend gets really pissed off, you know, because, like, we'll be, we'll be going to dinner, and I'm like, you know, I won't order fries because it's not fiscally responsible. And then she, she gets really angry at me. It's pretty funny.
0: No, the other thing was the humble brag about the girlfriend, by the way. Like, oh, well yeah. done.
1: Yeah, I know. She hasn't had the interview yet, but when she hears that one and then this one, she'll be super happy.
0: Yeah, of course, but, the system. System. but um, yeah, look, again, talking about doubles, we got into the weeds there, but your start in tennis, I believe you're from Hollywood, yep. Florida. Uh, Just what was it about, the, you know, Florida tennis, rich history, obviously, but what was it that got you attracted to the game? How did you get
1: started? So my dad played when he was a kid and, and I saw a little bit of tennis growing up, uh, but one day I was actually in my parents' room and I was watching uh, Sampras versus Agassi and I had just quit piano lessons and you know, I was trying to do stuff and I told my mom, hey, mom, this is what I want to do. And this is a true story. I swear this is a true story. And she, and she, <laughs> she, she told me, you're not going to play tennis because the last time we put you into something, you quit um, the second time. And I said, no, I'm not going to quit. This. this is what I want to do with my life. And, you know, she put me into tennis lessons and I started playing full time almost immediately um, in terms of playing after school almost every day. And that, that was the start of my tennis career. So it was, a, it was, fr- it was all me. It was kind of crazy.
0: <laughs> well i imagine you pictured yourself as a young agassi although i suppose both you and i have sampras's yeah. eyes like, <laughs> y- you know I- I oh like come s- on style that's it. true <laughs> no uh, i said yeah, both of true. us look i'm throwing us both uh, under the bus awful. here but um no you definitely the returning i i see the attraction right away to agassi's game um but you know you mentioned that injury you sustained, you're still homeschooled throughout that process. What that shows me is obviously you, your parents, your support system uh, became, uh, had made the decision that you were all in on tennis. And I'm just curious, I know you're a lot younger back then, but what were the signs you saw? What was it about the game? What was it you know throughout that entire uh, adversity that made you stick with the sport?
1: That's tough, I, I think I was so far ahead, and I'm not trying to be arrogant here, but I was really so far ahead of, of a lot of the competition when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12. You know, the, the real big guy that I competed against was Steven Kozlov, that was my age, and and, and he beat me <laughs> out mo- more than I beat him out, that's for sure. Um, but that was the level, right? I was in, at Steven Kozlov's <laughs> level, and he was, you know, winning Orange Junior Orange Bowl 12s at 10 years old, you know? so. That was kind of the level that I was playing at, and and so it was like, hey, we once I get back, it's it's only I was ahead, you know, I lost a couple of years. Now let's get back to where I was, right? And um, I think that was a big thing. And, and the other thing was my coach, right? My coach really uh, sacrificed a lot for me, and and he put a lot into me. His name is Chris Hunt. He coached uh, the other person that is popular. He coached Ryan Rowe. He won a national championship in doubles uh, with Kevin Anderson at Illinois, and. And so my coach really believed in me and really put a lot of effort into me. And so with that belief, obviously gave me a lot of um, belief in myself. And honestly, without him, I I definitely would not be playing tennis today.
0: When you came back to the game, what was the biggest change? Was it technique-wise, physically, just what what was that adaptation
1: like? I mean, probably there's three main things that— had major differences, right? I I went from at 16 I had an eastern forehand. At 17 I had a semi-western <laughs> forehand, and now I have like somewhere between western and semi-western forehand. Right
0: now you're swinging, you're swinging a wood. Plank. So
1: so I really so I really changed my forehand a lot, and it made it really difficult, right? And it's progressed a lot during college as well, which has been great. But I I couldn't hit a forehand. I mean I, I legit was slicing most of the forehands I was hitting when I first got back, and that had to do with the pain in my shoulder, but also you know, just being unconfident. Uh, the second thing is my serve. You've probably seen me serve. I have an abbreviated motion. Um, that's just because I can never. My my shoulder never stopped hurting when I would lift it up the way I used to, and so um, I serve with an abbreviated motion. And then the last thing is just confidence, right? Like when I when I got hurt, I was super confident. But when I came back, you know, I was a nobody. You know, I went from being one of the best players in the country to being a nobody, and I kind of believed I was a nobody. And I and I and I lost a lot of confidence that I had, and it took it's taken and it's still taking a lot a lot a long time to to build it back up.
0: You talk about that abbreviated serve motion. I did want to touch on that. Is that something where you're still feeling any pain because, you know, you don't reach number 1 in the country win the All-American like you did without being able to hold serve. Yeah,
1: um it doesn't hurt anymore with any other motion, I don't think. Um But it was, you know, it's kind of one of those things that I already I've done it for six years now or five years now, so I don't think I'm going to change it. Um, There's definitely a lot. I have to work on myself a lot. Don't get me wrong. But um, it's definitely it. Yeah, it's definitely something that that I'm sticking with and um, that I'm not going to change anytime soon.
0: No. And look, we look forward to seeing it. Well, again, I'm trying to steer away from too many of Lisa's topics. I do know you had a fascinating recruiting story. You were committed to Wake Forest. You, you know, you thought it was all going to line up, as often happens with the homeschool transfer to NCA credits. There's some you know, misfunction in the system that goes on. And so you found yourself, you know, scrambling at the last moment. What is that process like for you? Obviously, you were a five-star recruit, as you mentioned, as a highly touted prospect. I'm sure you had college openings available. But just when you're scrambling through that process, trying to waste scholarship money, academic opportunities, what is that like as a 17-year-old kid?
1: Yeah, it's probably one of the most difficult experiences of my life. I think, Especially, I don't know how other people went through, but you know, we tried really hard. We put a lot of effort into the recruiting process, my coach and my mother and I. And we did a lot of research and, and we made a pros and cons list. So we took it really seriously, right? We, we took it like, this is, this is a really big decision. And you know, the number one thing in my mind was winning a national championship, right? And, and regardless of whether I was gonna get better at tennis or turn pro, you know, getting the experience to win a national championship, or at least the opportunity, uh, you know, second to none. And so that's kind of why we chose Wake Forest initially. And um, obviously, Tony got to learn from probably one of the best coaches, if not the best coach in uh, history, in Brian Bolin. Um, And so I was like, well, if I can't go to Virginia, then I might as well go to, you know, the second best at the time, which we thought was Wake Forest. And obviously, you can uh, you can tell that Tony's done an unbelievable job there, um, winning national championship, getting to a finals this year. And and then, yeah, and then I didn't get in academically. And then the next best option, I had to go to private school because it was too late um, in the public school application process for me to go unless I wanted to go in January. And so only private schools were were the option. And and the first option we looked at was Baylor. And um, I don't know if you ever remember the 2015 match where uh, Baylor played Oklahoma. And they were one and two in Do the country. Do I remember? And it was— Come on.
0: Axel Alvarez, 2015. That's one of my favorite seasons of the 2010s decade. You have to talk about that Oklahoma three years making the final run. Sorry. This is me at my historical college time. But that three-year run—sorry. No, that three-year run, the Wake Forest three-year run, those little dynasty moments. Probably the UNC three-year run of schneider uh
1: you know, Blumberg, Blumberg at the end. Yeah. Sorry. No. I'm a, yeah, I'm, I got you off top. So that, that match single-handedly made me go to Baylor, right? It's it's I, I don't know if I've been a part of a match that has had that big of a crowd. You know, I, I think I've come close, but that was the match where they got to cheer during the point and, you know, like Spencer Papa was walking and they'd go left, right, left, right. Every time time he took a step the <laughs> entire match, you know, like Spencer's like the nicest guy ever. And like, there's 150 frag guys, you know, just, Taunting him the entire match for three and a half hours, you know, and so it was a pretty incredible experience Pretty incredible experience. So I I committed to Baylor and yeah became Baylor bear
0: So I believe the ncaa finals were in Baylor that season Can I just say 20 because there have been some reforms like I don't think you can yell on it now in between points There's different like mid-match yelling things that people get more upset about Mm -hmm. now than they used to Yep. And you know maybe people in the 80s and 90s were doing the same thing, but 2010 to 2015 it got reckless. Wow. Like yeah, I remember some of those Baylor matches at NCAs. I remember when Oklahoma in the I think it was against TCU Chapel versus Alvarez. There's a little <laughs> I like I remember the you know watching the crowds on the stream be like oh my like you could hear them audibly. They're all yeah, talking. They're all screaming. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, and so. I can imagine how you fall in love with Baylor. And by the way, NCAA not getting into Wake Forest, three time ITA Scholar athlete.
1: Yeah. Like, that's just, like, ridiculous. Come on, Tony. Um, Come on, Tony. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Tony, exactly. We're better than that. Uh, Um, But then, look, you you mentioned falling in love with the school. But I guess for a player like you, uh, did you target Baylor with the idea of, uh, you know, I just really need to find a place to go? Did you have the idea of, uh, you said, winning a national championship? But was there any thought of, oh, this is a place I could develop and eventually pursue pro tennis?
1: In my mind, no. Um, In my mind, I was so caught up into getting to a school, you know, and and going to a school that had a chance of winning national championship. And obviously somewhere where, honestly, I thought I would make a lineup anywhere. And and luckily I made the lineup at Baylor all four years. But, you know, at the time, coaches didn't really have the most confidence in in me. And college coaches didn't have the most confidence in me. And Baylor finished the year, uh, I believe number three in the country or number two in the country that year. And so it was a no brainer, right? I'm gonna come into a school, I'm gonna get to play on a top five team. you know, on the lineup. So it was a a pretty perfect opportunity for me. And um, it was honestly, it was, you know, things happen. I've come to believe that things happen for a reason. I think going to Baylor happened for a reason and it's been an unbelievable experience.
0: And you mentioned early on, or I think it was in uh, this perspective in your Lisa interview, getting to play uh, for Coach Boland, we'll talk about later. But Coach Canola also, as you mentioned, coming off of the number two team in the country. He's a national championship coach himself. Uh, What was his pitch to you just about Baylor? And I guess uh, with that pitch in mind, it may have worked for you. But what advice would you give to kids now going through that recruiting process in terms of what they should be looking at from schools?
1: Yeah. So to answer your first question his pitch to me was that baylor oklahoma match you know i saw how they <laughs> set up i saw um you know the pre-match post-match and i was really impressed you know it was it was an incredibly tough team those guys i mean if you just think of of that lineup it was julian Lentz, tony lupieri uh max shutakian diego galliano uh mate giga and felipe rios you know if if i had to bet a thousand dollars on a team um, there are my aren't, guy, Matt Ziga, yeah, you're Ma- going to
0: throw Ziga under the bus. No,
1: I, if I had to bet a thousand dollars on a team, I'd probably bet them, you know, like I, <laughs> I, I, I'm not kidding. Like the, I don't think I've ever gotten more than two games off Monte Ziga, like shout out, <laughs> shout out to him. Like that guy's a beast. So, um, you know, they had an unbelievable team and, an unbelievable culture and the way that they, they, they basically represented themselves during that weekend was incredible. And so I thought, you know, Hey, I want to be a part of this. this is pretty special.
0: Yeah, and you know, getting into that, I guess uh, you joined the team your freshman year, a team that did lose a bunch of seniors, but you know, you still returned Rios, uh, Max, and Julian Lenz. I guess what was it like for you, your first year on campus? You're now fully in the college tennis environment. Was it a slap in the face? Was it uh, you know just amazing? What was that experience like for you?
1: Yeah, it was, it was actually really tough. My first year was really tough. Obviously, you know, being homeschooled and getting readjusted, being part of a team was difficult. Doing school was extremely difficult, and I really cared about it. So that also made it more difficult. Um, and obviously, there, there was a lot of injuries that year and a lot of controversy on our team that year. And I won't get further into it, but it made it difficult, right? But it also made our team closer, and we had a really close team that year, which was really special. And it also gave me the opportunity to play. Um, you know, obviously, I rather would have won than played, but I got to play four that year, and I had a pretty good year for a freshman um, that really didn't have a name before coming to college. So, it was, you know, it was a tough, definitely a tough, tough year. Um, but I think I got a lot of out of the year, and I grew a lot as a person um, during that year.
0: Tennis-wise, what was that adjustment like? Was it a leap? Because I, I continue to say the level of college tennis gets better and better every year.
1: Uh, ten- I mean, tennis-wise, I don't think I think my level was there. I think that it was really different from what I grew up uh, in terms of coaching in terms of practice. right. I grew up with a private coach who basically almost watched me hit every single ball I ever hit in my entire life. Um, and so going out of that and into a place where you're maybe you're not the primary focused every single second was really difficult for me, right? Because you know I had a lot of discipline with my coach and I, I feel like I lost a lot of discipline early on in college because I you know I didn't have that accountability. Uh, of someone watching me every time I hit the ball, um, and don't get me wrong, there was a lot of discipline in Baylor men's tennis. But um, <laughs> it was my coach was really really tough on me, and and growing up, and so that's kind of you know what I was used to, and and Coach Canole was very tough too, um, but it was a little bit different.
0: Yeah, and I guess even off the court as you mentioned being homeschooled, you now come to the University of Baylor, a huge school obviously. What's that transition like off the court adjusting to college schedule, social life, just all of those things?
1: Yeah, it was it was super weird. Um I I didn't really do much extracurricularly my my first year. Um my, my last 3 years I did actually a lot extracurricularly. I've probably spent 10 to 12 hours a week on something other than tennis and school. Um which is a really, really awesome thing, and and I'm really glad that Baylor Athletics gave me opportunities. Um, but it was definitely an adjustment, right? You know, being homeschooled to going to classes and taking notes was a really, really big change. You know, I hadn't I hadn't really written that many papers. Um, honestly, I don't know if I wrote a paper for a class um, other than the SAT and practice essays for the SAT before I came uh, to Baylor. You know, so it was just a lot of a lot of stress in terms of. Uh, and a lot of anxiety just because I wanted to do really well. And I wanted to, you know, make my parents happy, make my coaches back home happy, and, and obviously make my teammates really happy and my coaches here really happy. So it was really just, I wanted to be accepted. And, and it was just a path to whatever that would be. And it was really stressful.
0: No, I, I can only imagine what that's like to have to balance all of those things. And then again, to go from number two team in the country to the 16 and 14 season you guys had I just you know I can only imagine what that does to the brain uh, but for your team you know that next season you're uh, I guess what what when you have a season like that and it's your first year what do you do in the off season what's that biggest adjustment you make as you know an outgoing freshman incoming sophomore that allowed you to you know go on to have the sort of success you guys did as a program over your next three years
1: If I'm going to be honest with you, I didn't hit a tennis ball that summer. (laughs) I'm not, I I actually had an internship uh, at a, at a hedge fund in in Florida and I actually coached tennis. I just financially, I needed to work. And so I didn't need to work as much as I did. Um, I could have definitely played a lot more tennis, but it was a really exhausting season. And I was kind of done. Like I was like, I need a break. And then that break turned into an internship and um and actually it was really it was actually really good for me because it really reset me as a tennis player and I had a really good sophomore fall I think I I won 14 matches I I went from the pre-qualities to final round qualities in all American um and I won a tournament in Napa you know so it was it was a really good fall for me but it was just resetting right college tennis is really long and it's really tough and really intense and the pressure's immense just because you're playing for a team and you're an individual so you really have impact and so just taking my mind off the game was really the biggest thing and um, honestly this is the first year where I felt like I didn't want to take my mind off the game and I wanted to keep playing so there's definitely there it's ups and downs and it was tough but the transition is more hey let's reset the the mental the mentality and, and let's get back to work right because in the end no matter how good or bad you are, if you have a good mentality going in, it's gonna it's gonna have results in the end.
0: Uh, I, that's so interesting to me because I, I just think uh, again getting back to that word I used earlier adversity that seems to be what's occurred for you is you know you play a bunch of tennis and then you you did you know the internship with the injury you have a long layoff there I know later on in your college career you did an internship in New York one summer uh, is I guess as you make the and this is jumping forward a little bit, but as you make your adjustment to trying to be a full-time tennis professional, how important do you think it will be to still build in those little blocks to reset yourself? And do you think that's sort of the strategy to approach with, with given, you know, how, how difficult it is physically as a sport week in, week out?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things, and, and I think this was a lot of that you know that mental stress that i i had i put on myself right and and coach bolin has taught us really well of this past year of just managing our gears right what gear are we going to be on when we're um in the beginning of the season versus middle of the season versus ncaa time right um are we going to be on first gear third gear fifth gear and so really learning what what gear i needed to be in a certain moment has really helped me enjoy tennis a lot more um, but the other thing was, and, and this is really my fault, is I was over, I think I was a little over-involved when I was in, in college. You know, I, I worked really hard in school. I did internships. I played Division One tennis, and I was the president of an organization, right? And so I was doing way too much. And I think when you do so much, you don't really get to enjoy what you're doing, if that makes sense. And so really what's been great about the last month and a half of, of training when I'm playing tennis is all I have to do in the morning is I wake up. You know, I do some yoga. I go play tennis. (laughs) I go work out. I recover. I make sure that I eat well. And that's my life, you know, and 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 then the rest of the day, I can do whatever I can to build my tennis career, which is, you know, what I do in, in a podcast like this or or writing updates on on for the people who follow me. And so it's a lot lot less stress than instead, you know, I have practice, now I need to go study four hours and then I need to write an agenda for the next meeting, right? So I think that's the biggest difference is, you know, being able to limit how much I'm doing and just focusing on tennis has made a really, really big difference. And then obviously managing um, how much effort and how much time I'm putting into things and managing my gears in the right way so that I'm peaking at the right time.
0: Well then, you, you, in that mind, uh, in the larger context, you talk about being able to balance and manage your time, do all of those things effectively. I guess for those young juniors who are at the top of the game who have pro aspirations, let's say, and this is where I might get you in trouble for the first time, there's a kid <laughs> like, uh, we'll name, hypothetical by the name of Jensen Brooksby, who, you know, you're a pro and you, you've won Kalamazoo and you've now been playing pro circuit events and you're hovering around that top 500. Given what what you just said about how helpful it is to be able to commit yourself to tennis full time, you know, day in, day out from the start of the day to when you go to bed at night, do you still, you know, after your four years think college tennis is not, a, you know, a viable path to the professionals for those with those aspirations? Do you think it's maybe the preferred path, the one you would recommend to young juniors? Uh, what are your thoughts in terms of it as a facility to, or as a, a, a way to get you to the pros?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm 100% believe that college tennis is the path, right? Um, I think I had a quite different situation. You know, when you when you look at people's resumes versus mine, you know, they focus a lot more on tennis than I did, right? And that was a personal choice. Um, and that was just, I was injured a long time. I had different things that I believed I could do well. And obviously, I've done well in school, and I had the opportunity to, to, to be a part of incredible internships. And so I think... You know, putting me and Jensen in the same box is kind of difficult. Um, <laughs> honestly, yeah, like, really no, honestly. Sure. But, but in terms of college tennis, especially my experience at Baylor, um, especially the way that Brian Bolin runs the program, I think that it's a no-brainer to be a part of college tennis. You know, um, one, you grow as a person a lot. You learn to deal with probably, in my opinion, what I believe is. A really really tough pressure, and that's being a, on a college team and, and you know playing one two three four five six singles. Each spot has his own pressures, and, and it's a pressure that I don't think I've ever felt when I'm playing an individual tournament, right? Um, and I think dealing with that, and learning to deal with that, is an incredible preparation for the pro tour. And in the end, just being able to mature and grow up and and be around a team and be around coaches and be around a new environment, I think, is an incredible plus when you're playing college tennis and experiencing college. Um, before just going on a pro tour right and and i think it i think it gives people perspective and i think it gives people maturity to when they do face hardships on the pro tour they're able to handle them in a much better way because i think i think a lot of these guys who have made it that were college players i mean not not knowing whether they would or would not but i'm sure that they would all say that college tennis helped them get to where they are today right and those are the ones that have tried so
0: No, I absolutely agree with everything you said. It's why we at Cracked Rackets are such big proponents of college tennis, not only the quality of play, but the opportunities it presents uh, a student athlete both on and off the court. We mentioned, you know, we geeked out in doubles earlier, but I feel like for a lot of American juniors, yes, they have opportunities to play doubles at some junior events, but if you play college tennis, you know, doubles becomes a staple of your day-in, day-out tennis life. And I'm curious for you, you've mentioned uh, the fact that, you know, you want to play professional tennis. You've focused a lot on doubles, I think, in the Lisa Pod, you, you have the aspirations. I want to be top 10 in the world. Is doubles something you fell in love with before college, during colleges? When, because I, for me, it, it seems like so obvious to fall in love with the college doubles point.
1: Yeah, I think I think I definitely loved doubles before college. You know, I got to watch Ryan Rowe win a national championship in doubles, and, and he's like a brother to me. He played for Illinois, and, and so obviously watching him, I wanted to follow in his footsteps, right? You know, he was number one in the country in doubles, and he's my coach, coach's number one protege before me. And then I was number one in the country, and I was my coach's number one protege after him. So that was obviously a really big dream of mine because I really looked up to Ryan, and I really wanted to be like him. Um, so in that sense, but I definitely learned doubles in college, right? I, I think I had the, the skill set, um, but I never really got the opportunity to play enough in juniors to, to really become a, a real doubles player. And so all the, all the things that my coach taught me growing up, you know, in terms of volleying, returning and serving, transitioned to college and allowed me to, once I learned the strategy, once I learned, um, you know, where to stand, when to poach, the serves to hit, the patterns to play. You know, I was able to do well because I had all the tools um once I learned the strategy, basically, so I think my my passion for doubles definitely grew a lot in college right. um, because I got to play
0: I, I usually save these sort of questions for the rapid fire, but would you agree with the statement that the doubles point is the most exciting part of a college tennis match Not even close. Yeah, yeah, not even yeah. close. The energy, just the atmosphere, the fact that Michigan took two doubles points from you guys in our two matches
1: this year—just a, a great doubles point. Wow, wow. <laughs> that's just that's just because Sven and I weren't playing one together. We hadn't <laughs> figured out our doubles lineup yet. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah, you're like, right. Round of 32 NCAs, you guys hadn't figured out your doubles lineup yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, did did I don't even remember? Did we lose to you guys? I just remember beating Michigan both times. I don't I don't really remember the doubles points. So. Like, you're you're talking about doubles. Like, did we win the doubles point NCAA? I really can't remember.
0: No, you and Sven won, but Miles and Andrew and then Harrison and Gabe won two two breakers.
1: I'm sorry. I I really didn't remember because I just remember winning. So, (laughs) you know, I don't know.
0: Yeah, that's completely fair. And look, I want to talk about some of the winning you guys did because you certainly did a lot of it. But let's take two seconds to talk again a little more adversity, Coach Knoll, After your, you know, I mentioned your freshman year record, not as good, but you guys do, you know, catch your stride, you go twenty three and eight overall. Uh, your sophomore year, the next year, you guys end up going twenty one and ten. But you make the national indoors. I believe you make uh, the finals of the Big Ten, uh, Big Twelve championship. You make second round NCAAs. At to, to have those sort of jumps and then to have Coach Knoll leave, uh, what is the atmosphere like for your team in that sort of moment?
1: Hmm. That's, that's a tough question. I mean, it was tough, right? You know, when whenever there's a change in coaches, you're, there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot, a lot of anxiety of what's going to happen. Um, well, you know, we got really lucky. Like, I, I can't say how lucky we got because we, we lost the national championship coach. Um, and obviously, he's one of the, the, the best coaches over the last... 20 years um, if not one of the best coaches in history in Matt Canole, but you know I, I, I honestly believe we got the best coach in history or at least in what I've learned in terms of how to run a college tennis program I don't think anyone does it better than Brian Boland so um, when you when you hear hey Brian Boland's going to be the new uh, head tennis coach at Baylor it, it makes things a lot easier you know because obviously he has a really good reputation and, and he had a lot of success at Virginia so we knew that we were in a good position to win. Um, but then we got to meet Brian and we got to experience, um, what he believes in terms of what he wants his team to represent and the culture that he wants to build, uh, within a tennis team, which in this case is Baylor men's tennis. And, um, honestly, it was an honor to learn from him and it's been an honor to be a part of that. Um, I've, I've changed a lot because of him and, and for the better. So it was, it was a, it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, the fact that coach Canole left and then Brian Bowlin arrived because, we got to learn from a. I got to learn from two national championship coaches, and honestly, from the best in the business. Let
0: me just say, I never thought I would hear someone kiss up to Coach Bowlin more than I do, and that was impressive, Jimmy. Um, but, oh, <laughs> yeah, um, that's not no.
1: I wish you know. And if anyone who knows me, at least here at Baylor, they know I don't kiss up. They know <laughs> that I'm 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 pre- I'm pretty straightforward. But but when I say that that Brian Boland uh, really, really had an incredible impact on Baylor. I'm, I'm being really honest yeah. with you. Honestly, I would, I would send my kids to Baylor, and I would do it all over again if I could. So Look, there will be um, no Brian Bullen slander on any Crack
0: Rackets podcast product. <laughs> People know that that's my guy. Uh, so yeah, uh, I completely agree with you. But let's have a little fun at Coach Poland's expense because hopefully he will be listening to this podcast. <laughs> oh, you he know. will! I'm, I
1: guarantee you, he's going to listen to this <laughs>
0: exactly. So then, uh, you know, I, I guess you, you know, you don't have to violate anyone's trust, but just switching from coach Canole to coach boland you know because coach boland's a smooth talker let me say that guy if he tells me anything i'd be like yes yes sir you need what do you need me to do three sprints up the mountain all right that's fine we'll win <laughs> it's true it's true yeah, exactly like okay if we'll win after i believe you um but what's the i guess what's the biggest shock is it a culture shock is it you know from the day-to-day activities they change for you what was the biggest difference in
1: switching two coaches I, I think probably the way that, um, you know, that practice is set up and and the way that workouts are set up, um, you know, Coach Canola had a very uh, strict and, and tough program that obviously was extremely effective. Um, but then Brian had a, a strict program, but he gives you a lot of autonomy and allowed you to, um, you know, really improve the way that you've always improved and gave you a lot of freedom in your game. And it's incredible what it did, right? It was, it was incredible how well we did this year because of um, the way that practices were. And, and I mean, I don't want to keep bragging about Baylor men's tennis and Brian no, Bowen, but-
0: Please, I got to get him back on the pod for I, a project I, I, I am, have in mind.
1: I am telling you that the way that we run, um, that, the way that Baylor men's tennis is run in terms of professionalism and in terms of uh, discipline and in terms of the staff and support that we have is absolutely insane. I mean, like you have no idea. You have no idea, and and it that changed obviously under Coach Canola it was amazing. Um, but Brian brought it to a whole new level. You know, he he really made it um, really easy for us to go out there and play our play our best. And and obviously, I'm not going to tell everyone his secrets, but um, it's pretty amazing. Like we, we play, we were out there. We were, we have the treatment like Roger Federer, and um, that allows us to play the best we can, and, and really gives us a lot of confidence and. In what we're doing,
0: and look I, again, big fans of Coach Boland. I agree, it, it's obvious by the success you had that whatever he did worked. Up. But you look at what your team had coming into the season, and Coach Boland or not, you know, you looked at the roster at the beginning, you thought you're gonna get Juan back, you, you had Roy Smith at the time, but even without them, you look at what you guys did with Johannes and Adrian and Matthias, yeah, we were, South exactly. we were good exactly. So, I guess <laughs> you guys had that continuity, and you're an older team as well, and you bring in a new coach with a big personality who has a firm way of you know he has a picture for the program there had to be some clashing of heads right
1: yeah i mean i I definitely i don't know if there's clashing of heads to be honest i think i think our team was really close um obviously you know there was kind of a weird atmosphere in terms of coach canola not being there um but and there was definitely a lot of like we didn't really know who brian was and and you know it seemed like there was a lot of talk, right? And he had this plan for, you know, creating this culture. And, and it definitely took some time for us to buy in, right? It, it, you don't buy in the first time you meet someone, um, especially with people like me, Will, and Yo-Yo, who had been part of a program for three years. Um, but pretty quickly, we figured out that um, Brian Brian was legit and that we thought that buying into this program was the best thing that we could do for our team. And it was the best team best thing overall so um definitely weary at first and i'm someone who's very weary and someone who kind of fights back um and so obviously i did that a little bit but then i i quickly found out that you know brian was the best the best option for for what we wanted what we wanted for our team
0: and again another rapid fire themed question the (laughs) funniest the funniest bolandism that you've you know learned over the past year
1: oh my gosh the funniest bolandism I have to get back to you on that. Give me, you got to give me a second on that one. We'll
0: save it for the rapid fire. We'll get back. Yeah, but yeah. then again, so <laughs> coming into this senior year, uh, obviously high team expectations, but I heard the story. I want to give you a chance again to tell it because not only do you go into the All-American and win the event with your doubles partner, Sven La, but I believe coming into that there was some talk about, you know, if we win, I'm going to have to play six months on the pro tour.
1: Yeah, it was, it was really funny because, you know, I... We were driving up, uh, and it was I believe it was Michael and one other person uh, drove up, and I because I was in the first round prequalies of uh, of NCAA All Americans, ITL All Americans, and I was like, yeah, if I, you know, I was like BSing around, like yeah, if I get top five in, in in ever in my ranking in either either doubles or singles, I'll go pro. And obviously, I was like completely kidding, and I lost um, first round pre-qualities of All-Americans. So you can imagine how I felt, how my confidence felt. You know, I didn't hit a tennis ball all summer. So as expected. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, Sven and I, we had never played a practice set together um, before All-Americans. I had requested to play with him uh, just because I thought that our games would match. And obviously Roy was taking the fall off at the time. And so I was like, yeah, let's give it a go. And um, obviously, I mean, as much as I want to take credit for our doubles, Sven's a really, really good doubles player. And we went out there. Uh, we played the right way. Uh, we had some really close, tough matches, but somehow we pulled it through and, and uh, we ended up being top five. And so now I'm playing college professional tennis.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Sometimes it's that simple. But I guess, you know, for you guys as a team, and I guess, again, this gets back to that word adversity, to have the sort of success you did, and then you kind of roll through your ITA weekend, Uh, you know, you beat Georgia, you obviously beat my Michigan Wolverines. Um, And at that time, you have Roy, and you think you have Juan, is waiting in the queue uh, and then obviously the NCAA, you know, Roy ends up going pro. The NCAA doesn't let Juan play or whatever it is that ended up happening. What's it like when you have the team that you guys have with the sort of talent and ability to be that successful, when you have those sort of little things hanging over your head, what's that like?
1: I mean, it's tough, right? And I think, you know, we have, we have and had um, a very unique group of guys, right? When you, when you think about each person on our team uh, last year, we have an, unbelievable group of individuals as people right and i think that made it really really easy not easy but a lot easier uh for us to get through it right we were we were at you know indoors and we were really beat up i mean our team was all sorts of injured all sorts of tired all sorts of drama and you know we we stayed in there as teammates and we stayed in there and the coaches really hung in there with us and obviously it was tough you know when things like that happen it's 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 tough, right? When we lose Juan, we we lose Roy. You know, first of all, those are two of my best friends. So personally, it's tough for me. Um, But in the end, we we had a team that could still win. You know, we had a group of six, seven guys or actually eight guys who were legitimately able to step on the court every single day and win. Um, And we had a culture that was like, hey, this is greater than just us as individuals. This is greater than us as tennis, right? This is, this is, we're trying to make a difference here um, in what we're doing. And I think that really bound us together. And um, obviously it helped us and you can see by our results that, it, okay. that you know, it was evident.
0: Yeah, after the indoors, you guys run off nine match wins in a row. Uh, how important for your team, because I know, you know, you guys had had moderate success, I suppose, but what people may not realize about Big 12 conference tennis, there's only six teams. And so, you know, very limited opportunities in conference season. You lose one of those matches, your seeding at the Big 12 tournaments is in trouble. Uh, for you guys, how important was that Big 12, not only regular season, you know, chasing that regular season and postseason title?
1: I mean, that was everything, right? I think especially for Will, Yo-Yo, and I, you know, we never got a Big 12 as, as players on the team. And, you know, going four years chasing a Big 12 and uh, not getting it is tough. And so we went into the Big 12 tournament. And I, I mean, I don't know if, if this is a thing, but there was definitely no team that wanted to win it more than us. <laughs> um, and I don't think, uh, you know, on, on Sunday morning of the Big 12 championship final when we were playing UT... You know, I, I was very sure we were going to win, if you could believe that. I was <laughs> – if you just felt the atmosphere of our team and you felt the vibe of our team, you know, I didn't get to step on the singles court, and I, I hobbled my way onto the doubles court um, during that match. But it was an incredible atmosphere, an incredible, um, basically, aura that we had. And so it was everything. I mean, that, that Big 12 championship was, was everything to Will, YoYo and I. Um, It was just, you know, we worked so hard for something and it was it was just it was relief for us, honestly.
0: And for you guys, uh, again, a six-team conference. I'm just curious on your perspective. And by the way, if Cody, so you know, if Cody's listening, Cody, we have done our Baylor plugging. If I get Jimmy in trouble from here on in, I'm sorry. Uh, Just don't listen after this point.
1: But love you, Cody. Love you, Cody.
0: Yeah, no, of course I. I love him as well. Uh, (laughs) But for you guys, uh, pound for pound, Big Twelve. You look at the teams. It's yourself who top ten team, TCU, Texas. You know, three teams who made the quarterfinals this year. You add on to that Oklahoma, who as I mentioned had that run of three finals then you have texas tech and oklahoma state would you make the argument that pound for pound the big 12 is the best conference in men's college tennis yes (laughs) yes
1: (laughs) i mean it's that simple yes i mean if you just look at the history of the big 12 maybe i'm being biased here right um (laughs) but i really think that big 12 is really tough i think the the short schedule makes really tough i think I think one thing that you have to consider when you're talking about where you're going to these places, I I don't really haven't traveled everywhere, but traveling to each individual Big 12 school and playing away is so difficult. You know, playing at UT, super windy, different environment, a lot of fans. Playing at TCU, I mean, you know how many fans there are. It's actually fun to play there. Uh, Coach (laughs) Rodiddy does an unbelievable job bringing people out. Um, Playing at Oklahoma, super windy. Oklahoma State, super windy. Um, And obviously Texas Tech, you know, you got Elevation. It's very different, right? So it's, you know, we felt it this year, right? We felt confident that we were going to do well against Texas Tech and they shocked us, right? And it's just a different environment. There's guys who are used to the environment there and used to the crowd there and, and used to the courts and, and the elevation. And so that's why they win, right? And I think, I think every school, you know, you come to Baylor, you know, good luck playing on our slow courts. Good luck dealing with <laughs> our fans, right? So I think every individual school has its different advantages that makes it really difficult to play. Um, in the Big 12, which makes it the most difficult, con- most uh, the best conference. <laughs>
0: yeah, no, that's fair. And you mentioned, you know, that loss to Texas Tech. You guys also lose to Texas, both four three matches, both away matches. I off- I made this argument. In fact, at the time, I believe going into your conference tournament, and you can fact check me if I'm wrong. But that that you guys had those sort of losses, I feel like they're sometimes helpful for a team. Right? They sometimes realign everyone's focus and remind you
1: of the bigger picture. One hundred percent. I mean, I think, um, you know, the the Texas loss was our first like what I believe was our first real loss. Right. It was the loss that really like hit us in the head. Like, you know, I didn't play well. Sven didn't play well Um, there. You know, we let go of some matches that we shouldn't have let go of. And I think um, it was a wake up call like, hey, you know, like this is this is the level. This is the level that we need to be at you know, and and let's wake up and let's 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 get back to work because this wasn't good enough. Right. And I, I think that was the message that the coaches sent. Like, you know, hey, we're not sleeping anymore. You know, we lost four three to Texas, uh, but we could have won. You know, we had the opportunity to win and we didn't. So at Texas. And so it was definitely a wake up call. And then we we go around and then lose to Texas Tech a couple weeks later. And um, honestly, that was really disappointing, too, you know, because because We want to win every match we can win in the Big 12, and and we felt like we were heavy favorites, and obviously we didn't pull through, which is unfortunate, but that's that's the nature of college tennis, you know, you can't go out there thinking that you're going to win, it's different every single day.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's half the fun. And then again, uh, to round out your time, you go into that Big 12 championship. You win 4-1. Obviously, you guys end up being a host school, a top eight seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. How important was it for you guys to, you know, they, again, for our listeners, they changed the formats this year. They made it so that Regular 16 host sites for the first two rounds, but then the round of 16 at eight, all of the top eight seeds uh, home locations. I guess, one, was that change something you guys monitored throughout the year? And then, two, personally, your thoughts on that format change?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the coaches definitely monitor it. Um, I, I think the players, uh, especially the way that we do things, I don't think it's something that we need to worry about, right? You know, we just have to focus on going out there and playing. Um, I love the change, obviously, because we got to play at home. Um, <laughs> but the honestly, the the best dual match I got to be a part of was that final match I got to play at home. Um, at UCLA you know, it was, because
0: it was thrilling, like it, it yeah, was real back and forth.
1: It was fun, you know, and and you know I had a senior day I had a really special senior day where a lot of people came out, but it felt like a second senior day. You know, we had football coaches, basketball coaches, football players um, you know, women's basketball coach, everyone, everyone that could possibly shout it out and try to come out, came out. Right. And it was just an incredible atmosphere. And it was a really positive atmosphere, right? It wasn't like, you know, UCLA and Baylor were getting feisty or anything. It was just pure cheering, pure tennis. Um, and then I also got to clinch the last match. So that also, (laughs) (laughs) that also makes it a lot better, right? We won and and we got to advance and, and go the furthest that I've gotten to go, um, during my career at Baylor. So it was just, it was just an incredible experience, and, and I'm really thankful that we got that experience just because, you know, it's a match that I'll never forget. And I think, honestly, it adds, another, it adds a whole other factor to, to the NCAA just because it, it creates that home crowd advantage and people really come out, you know, people really came out to that match. And I think at other schools, people are going to co- continue to come out because they know it's NCAAs and they know it's a big deal.
0: Yeah, and then for you guys, just to wrap up your you know your senior season, you end up in that quarterfinal match in Orlando, matching up with the Florida Gators. And I guess for you guys getting to that site, your first quarterfinal. Uh, what was that week of preparation like? And then you know, ultimately, I can only imagine what was it like to wrap out your college career just in Orlando that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, going back Florida's home, so I guess we call it going back home. It was really tough for me. I think the last two months of the season, I was probably barely practicing because I, I sprained my MCL. And um, I, I think I practiced like I would just do like one team practice like every two days or every three days or sometimes I wouldn't even practice after matches. Um, so it was really tough for me, right? Because I couldn't always be with the team. I was always getting treatment. I was always in the training room. Um, but I think the guys did an unbelievable job. I think they prepared super well. Um, I think we did a lot of the little things right. Um, you know, but sometimes it doesn't go your way. You know, especially for me, I had a really, really tough match, and and Kessler had an unbelievable match. He played great, um, so it wasn't just all my fault. You know, he really took it from me, and and I know Andy played unbelievable against Sven. I got to watch some of that match because I lost really fast. So uh, <laughs> you know, a- Andy played unbelievable against Sven, and obviously, if you look at Florida's lineup, they're they're really, really solid and really, really strong. So. Um, obviously credit to them, but it was just an, it was a great experience. I think it's really cool that it's hosted down there. Um, and it was just, you know, it's, it's preparation. It's, it's the crunch time. So we did everything we possibly could. We only focused on tennis and, you know, it didn't turn out our way, uh, obviously, but it was still a, a great, great experience either way so for you personally to have you know the sort of
0: successful season you did and i I, again i want to be conscious of your time and i have some rapid fire for you so i want to Mm -hmm. end by talking about your transition to the pro tour i know uh I, i want to talk about you know your crowdfunding your updates that you have for people that who follow you all of those things but ultimately what led you to make the decision to turn pro
1: yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing is, is my be- the belief that I have in myself in the fact that I can make it, right? I think if you just look at my track record, I, I, I do things pretty like, because I want to be successful um, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop playing tennis uh, or I wouldn't stop, you know, pursuing my finance career if it wasn't for an un- unbelievable opportunity. And I think, I really think I have a shot of being top 10 in the world. You know, um, and obviously the, I'm really far away from that, but I think it's it's all part of the process. And, and, you know, the fact that I have the belief and it's it's something that I haven't had, right, throughout a, for, for a really long time, probably since I was 12, I didn't have a lot of belief in my tennis, but I really have a lot of belief in my doubles game. Um, and I really think I can make it. So I think that's really the outstanding thing that, that makes me believe I'm gonna, you know, make it one day and, and make some money playing tennis and, and you know, hopefully invite Alex Gruskin to the finals of Wimbledon. <laughs> Look, I'm I'm down for
0: that. I'm down to, uh, you know, you get back into college coaching because it sounds like you really could. I'm down to be your assistant if needed. I'm telling you, I'm going to get into the You can the be room. my volunteer. We'll you can be like my volunteer. Here. Your volunteer, I will not be belittled, to, not to belittle any volunteer assistant coaches out there, but no, I'm a, I'm a full-time gig type of guy. I'm either all in or I can't do it. Um, but I guess, so getting, uh, getting again to your pro transition, uh, even b- before the crowdfunding, getting to play Davis Cup for Honduras, I feel like given your love of college tennis, of that team atmosphere, how special must that have been for you to get to do?
1: Yeah, I mean, Davis Cup is is yeah. an incredibly unique experience. I think playing for Honduras is, is you know, one of the best decisions I've ever made in terms of, um, you know, just making a decision in general about my tennis. You know, I think and this comes a lot from Coach Bowen, but just myself and, and my life, you know, I want to make, I want to have impact on the world, right? No matter what, um, no matter what I do, whether it's tennis, whether it's finance, whether it's, you know... Anything that I do, any person I meet, I want to have a positive impact on the world and and on the people around me. And I think that uh, playing for Honduras had has had some impact in my life and in my family's life, and hopefully for people in Honduras who, um, you know, who aren't as fortunate as I am, right? And I think that um, hopefully in the future I'm able to represent that country by by winning big tournaments, winning big tennis tournaments, and bringing a limelight into an incredible country and. Um, you know, obviously one that I'm honored to, to represent. So it's it's been an incredible thing. And also just, you know, getting to be a part of the team over there, the guys that uh, also play on the Davis Cup team that represent Honduras, you know, Kenny um, and Alejandro, those are the, the two big veterans. You know, they've been working their butts off for 14, 15 years at that Davis Cup, and they've done everything they can. And they put their heart and soul like like you cannot imagine um, into that country and into Davis Cup and in, in, into representing uh, that country and just, being able to get to learn from them and be a part of that and and understand how much heart they put into it is one of the, honestly, one of the most incredible experiences I've ever been a part of. And just, you know, it really humbled me, right? Because, you know, I really got to see what work ethic and passion and fighting for something greater than yourself was when I first got to play for Honduras. Yeah,
0: no, I, I can only imagine what that sort of thing experience is like. Really, the coolest thing you can get to do in tennis because, you know, opportunities to play team tennis so fleeting and so few and far between Um, Again, I want to do our rapid fire. So my last serious question to you, uh, I mentioned, and you you mentioned this in your podcast with Lisa Stone, you doing your crowdfunding, you sharing your time, you know, blogging people who are following your experience in the professional tennis world. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about that? You know, what went into the thinking behind that, your entire campaign and, you know, what it means to you to get to use social media as a platform to share your experience?
1: Yeah. So... With the crowdfunding, obviously, when you play pro tennis, especially early on, you don't really make more than you spend. Right. And so having support financially is is something that's extremely important in the process uh, as a tennis player to really maximize your opportunities uh, to go play. And so originally I wanted to find one or two uh, sponsors that could support me uh, to get to my goal, which is thirty thousand dollars, and I was unable to do that. So I thought the best way to do is, you know, really give the people the opportunity to buy into me and buy into my story and support me um, on their own dime. Right. Not 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 me really asking them personally, but saying, hey, if you can, can you give right and can you help me pursue my dream? Um, And it's been really great. One, it's, it's rekindled some relationships. This has been really special with me, but for me, but also I'm able to share. Uh, my story and my progress through the platform. I'm, I'm able to stay accountable uh, to them as well, which is which is also really good for me. Um, and it's been an, obviously it's been you know shameless plug Make a champ, Jimmy Bendek, uh, super important, please donate. <laughs> um, but it's been it's been really great for me because it's relieved a lot of the pressure um, that I've I had earl- uh, early on in terms of my finances. you know, just I have to be a little bit less fiscally responsible now than I did before I, I got the <laughs> donations.
0: <laughs> no, of course. And look, you went into for people who are worried, you know. Oh, I don't want to. What am I? Can I trust Jimmy with his money? Listen to his plan in the parenting aces. He goes point by point, he's got it planned out. And I'm going, and I, I want to ask you this question. Maybe this is a good lead into our rapid fire. You know, 99.9% of normal humans, when they graduate and say they're going to Cancun, it's because they want to celebrate, they want to party a little bit. You're going straight from graduation to play a professional tournament?
1: Yeah, I, I graduate um on saturday i have dinner with dinner with my family uh they're they're Wait, coming.
0: For, real quick sorry west off give me a congratulations sound effect please uh, well done of course we applaud graduations here at crack rackets <laughs> yes
1: well done incredible job jimmy <laughs> um no yeah I, my parents come uh they they come watch me walk graduation and then i have to be in the airport after so I, i'm probably gonna have a 6 p.m dinner uh drive to dallas and leave at 4 a.m so oh, i'm getting that delightful uh, as you can tell i'm very antsy to get out there and go play um i'm really <laughs> i'm really really excited you know this is my life now so it's it's a business um but it's also my passion so i'm i, I literally cannot wait to go play some tennis
0: And look, I think I speak for all of us at Crack Rackets when we say we can't wait to see you go out there, have that sort of success. But with that being said, there is one last thing I want to do with you. It is our rapid-fire segment of questions. I'm going to throw a bunch of different thoughts at you. Yeah, I I want whatever comes to the top of your mind. Some will be (laughs) teammate-centric. Some will be uh, (laughs) – I have some random ideas about the college tennis schedule and adjustments I think they could make that I want to throw your way as well if that's right. But sound good to you? Yep. All right, then one more time, Westhoff, give me that rapid-fire sound effect, please. But, okay, my first question to you. You went on the record with Lisa Stone, and you said, don't quote me, but you don't get to say this on a podcast and say, don't quote me. <laughs> the, ba- the Baylor Bears will win a national title in the next two years. Is that very Brooksby contingent, or is that all in on Boland? What comes behind that prediction?
1: Brooksby helps, but we're going to win a national championship. This year? This year. I love it. I'm all in.
0: I look, I like that sort of boldness. That's no, I what Records crack- is. I mean, if I had on. to
1: bet a million dollars, it would be the Baylor Bears. <laughs> I'm not kidding.
0: Oh, that not fiscally responsible. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Um, but all right, I like it. Next one, I did an interview yesterday, and I'm not. Uh, oh, I guess I'll tell you who. With Chris Halliwell's nephew, former Mississippi State player Trevor Fauché. Oh, I love uh, now him. for people people who have watched you play, Jimmy. They know you're a ruthless competitor. So true or false? While playing Trevor in the juniors, he's up a set in five two and starts cramping. Uh, you, you know, you get him out of the match and force him to retire. True or false?
1: Hundred percent true. It's one of my favorite talent stories of all time.
0: <laughs> Give me the details Oh
1: my goodness So it's 5-2-40-30 Third set <laughs> um, Trevor's absolutely wrecking me uh, We're playing some clay court match And he literally falls on his back And <laughs> not kidding you Cannot stand up And so he tries to make his way to stand up I mean he has he's basically serving for the match And my coach Who obviously Trevor and his mom Are, are awesome people And I always got along with him super well um, and my coach is like kind of worried about Trevor. He's like, cause his whole body's cramping, can't stand up. Like we, we really don't know what to do. I ended up going to his side. My coach is helping lift him up and like, you know, we're kind of confused, you know? Cause like, to be honest, I did not deserve that match at all. <laughs> like in no place should I be winning that match. But yeah, funny. That's so awesome that you, that you got the story. Cause I always tell my teammates <laughs> that story, but they never believe me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, two source confirmation. Apparently it's very true. Huh. Um, no, I just, I feel like for a guy who's been injured, you're like, you know, take your time. Like, you, we can come back tomorrow.
1: I, I was honestly, I, I, when I was thinking, I was really worried for him because I actually really like Trevor and he's, he's a really yeah. awesome guy. So I was more worried for him than worried about winning the match at that time.
0: Counterpoint. You got to be ruthless to win. I'm all about it. <laughs> uh, but okay. Getting back. Now we're going to start and get Baylor themed. Bigger Baylor men's tennis rival. TCU, Texas, Oklahoma. Wow. For me? Yeah, sure. For you, I mean, you can speak on what you think in general. Uh, probably TCU. Um, Just because going there against Roditi, it's everything. Yeah,
1: tough, tough. I mean, has always been really tough for us. They've kicked our butt a lot since I've been here, so that's a big one. Um, I, You know, Texas. the Texas guys are good friends of mine, so I don't see them as a rivalry as much, although I think the rest of the guys on the team would say Texas.
0: <laughs> Especially this last year, right?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, This this last year was definitely Texas.
0: Although, I mean, TCU, quarterfinalist team as well. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I don't, you know, I, I completely understand the answer. I, I like it. I, I can only imagine. Is TCU the toughest away environment you've ever played in?
1: No, Texas Tech. Not even close. Really? It's so hard to play there. Ugh. Conditions or fans? Conditions. I mean, it, yeah. in, in terms of fans, TC, TCU brings a lot of fans, but, but it's the— the fans and stands are kind of far away from the courts, so they don't affect you quite as much um, like they would at somewhere like Baylor or somewhere like Oklahoma. So, um, but I think Texas Tech is definitely the hardest place uh, to play, for me at least.
0: You know, most ruthless uh, fan base you went up against?
1: This is going to be UC Santa Barbara. <laughs> I, that, wow. I had the- one ex- hell of an experience there
0: that's funny uh you know you could have pandered to me and said michigan but i'll
1: accept uc santa Barbara. no the, the players at michigan are tough but the, the, <laughs> the go blue yeah go blue
0: <laughs> look that i'm a, i'm a little offended that you don't remember me i uh, cheered i think sven was ready to throw his racket at me at oh, the i end believe you
1: <laughs> i believe that
0: <laughs> so that was funny all right your thoughts on no ad scoring in general
1: I love it. I think I think it creates a different pressure. I think it makes it a lot more exciting for the fans. I think it evens out the level. Um, I think that, you know, the better player has a disadvantage when it comes to no add. Um, even though I think the better player prevails overall. Um, definitely think I bring brings the matches a lot closer together, which makes the sport a lot more exciting.
0: I agree with you. I'm a big fan. You know, a lot of people were against it at first, but it's grown on me. I like the pace of it, the quickness. Mm-hmm. Again, nothing better than that doubles point when there's break points and no ad points just going yep. simultaneously next to each other, and it's only three courts. Exactly. Uh, so it's very easy to watch. Big fan of that. All right. Uh, let's get a little funky college ideas. Let's say they switch the the schedules and put the uh, the individuals in the fall, all individual tournaments in the fall, and all team stuff in the spring. If at the end of the season they had a Labor Cup-style uh, event for college tennis where it's, you know, maybe six guys and six girls on two teams, do you think the players would be interested in it, and would you be
1: interested in it? Uh, I think—I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question. I think I think no, right? Because I think a lot so of— So much what, tennis. I think, one, so much tennis, right, and the last thing you want to do after NCAAs is—, is probably play more tennis. Um, but I also think that something that makes college tennis kind of unique is like that guys are kind of feisty against each other and girls are kind of feisty against each other, you know, and, and anywhere where you can team up with guys. I mean, as much as I love teaming up and obviously now that I'm graduated, I could care less where anyone went to school. But, um, you know, having that feistiness and having that rivalry makes makes tennis matches really exciting. So um, I think part of the aspect and obviously like at at the end of the season it's going to be tough to get guys to try in a labor cup yeah you know so the counterpoint
0: is do it at the u.s open
1: that would be cool yeah now that would would be super cool that would be so so cool it would be such a great platform for for college tennis i think that'd be really cool now look, I'm a man of
0: compromise. So, yeah, Tim it's... Russell, you have my number. You know where <laughs> to find me. Um, yeah, I, I'm all about that. All right, another. Co- I guess, college wise, on that theme, though, would you, I, I guess, looking back, if they would have done the individuals and the team in two separate seasons, would that have made sense to you?
1: Yeah, I think it would make a lot of sense. I think that, um, you know, once NCAA is over, I think a lot of guys have a lot less motivation to. Um, do well, especially the international guys, you know, not being able to get that wild card. I think that's a big deal. You know, um, I think it's I think any, anyone who wins should get the U.S. Open wild card, in my opinion. Um, so I don't know. I, I think that definitely having individuals and, and I think it would make it a lot more competitive in the fall.
0: Yeah, look, I completely agree with you. That's why I'm about that question. Um, all right, let's get teammate centric. This is where the fun goes. <laughs> I'm going to ask fun. you, a, yeah, a series of questions about your teammates. Don't feel afraid to throw them under the bus. Oh, they I won't, won't mind. trust me. They yeah. know I will. So, with that in mind, uh, this basic sequence of questions: the messiest teammate you had while at Baylor. Me. <laughs> That's a cop out. And Juan, Juan that, Benitez. Not, Juan Benitez. I was gonna say I'm not gonna accept that as an answer, but Juan I'll, I'll accept one. Uh, favorite practice partner? Will Little. Just be oh, that's a grind.
1: Yeah, it just because he makes me try, so. <laughs>
0: No. Well, you and Will probably are out there for, what, like three hours? You're
1: like, right, yeah, we'll play it, this one point. The thing is, Will, Will and I, I think, Will and I just hate losing to each other, you know? So, we go out <laughs> there, you know, it's going to be a battle. Like, whether it's, like, a little mini tennis game or whether it's a, a you know, three-set match. Like, we're going to do everything we can to win. And he's one of my closest friends, so I can see that.
0: Yeah, the lefty version of you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, no, I, I see i uh, I, have, I have better volleys. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, uh, I, look, I don't disagree with that. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> um how about is is so is that the partner that you'd get most competitive with Probably
1: yeah, I get I get super competitive with Will yeah
0: Were there any teammates where it was like you know coach Bowl and coach Canole got to keep them apart
1: Yeah me and Sven our freshman year was really rough <laughs> really rough rivalry really, I mean it wasn't even it was hatred it wasn't a rivalry <laughs> it was it was ironically I'm the he's my doubles partner that we ended up doing really well, but him and I couldn't even talk to each other. So it's, yeah.
0: Oh, it shows. No, look, a good doubles partnership is like any relationship. There's touching. <laughs> you got to make, you know, there's a lot of high fives, slapping. We do. We definitely do a lot of touching. I mean. Yeah, you, you got to communicate, too. You got to know the signals. Yeah. yeah it, it all <laughs> makes sense. I see it. Look, Max Rothman and I are happy. Well, we have, our, we have our fights. Let me tell you. Guys you guys do a lot of touching, too oh uh, we have our own high five like our own <laughs> yeah. unique high five uh so yeah i i completely understand <laughs> uh, but all right your favorite doubles partner that you played with
1: sven definitely sven
0: Ooh, i like it um yeah. just because of the success
1: yeah just because of success he um he lets me be honest with them right so if i if i think something he i say it to him and and he doesn't take it personally, you know, he always, whether, whether he listens or not, which he most likely <laughs> not always listens, but, uh, he, he lets me tell him, right. And he, he knows that I'm trying to, he knows that I want the best room no matter what. So I would never tell him anything out of anger or, you know, yeah. or out of jealousy. I would just tell him because it's truly what I think is best.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well then how about this for, in terms of getting under people's skin, the most likely teammate to hook you in practice.
1: Yo-Yo shredder, <laughs> not, not not even close. <laughs> yeah, he just go after. He, it. I think he said me too. Honestly, yeah. Him and I, him and I, butt heads a little bit. So <laughs> definitely Yo-Yo.
0: It's oh, funny. How about the funniest
1: teammate? Uh, Kirill Segura. he. he th- this guy makes me laugh, man. Mm, no, great real character. Yeah, funny guy. Oh yeah, you got you got to sit next to him at the stands in Michigan.
0: Yeah, we got the full full dosage. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh my God, who is this kid? Um,
1: These don't seem very rapid fire, by the way.
0: No, look, I like to talk him through. I'm look. This just teasing you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is where it's off the cuff. I'm like, all right, what do I really want to ask him now? Um, all, right,
1: all right, I'm ready for a good one, a really personal yeah. one.
0: <laughs> Best to go out with. Best to go
1: out with. Yo yo shredder. Not even close. Not even close. <laughs>
0: Oh, that's funny. All right. Well, then let's start getting personal with you, Jimmy. Your oh, favorite God. tennis player? Kevin Anderson. What? Yeah. I guess Ryan Rowe. They won yep. doubles. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. All right. That's a not a cop-out. I get it. That makes sense. I mean, obviously, you play just like him. So I, I <laughs> Yeah, I know. play yeah. just like him. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> I see. It. I see it. If you could remove any shot from the game.
1: Wow. Um... See, they now are getting serious. Probably forehand. <laughs> really? Yeah, because then I'd be like top 100 in the world. Yeah, you'd be... <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Would you be entertained if tennis dropped the serve and made matches 2 out of 3, or not 2 out of 3, 3 out of 5 21 point ground stroke games?
1: No, because it would take way too, way too... Oh, 21 point straight... Yeah, it would, I, I don't know. I don't. I actually like if a, if a guy serves in volleys and puts a nice volley away. I think that's amazing tennis. So I personally like you know the 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 fact that people can end points with just a serve, and I see I see beauty in that as well. Uh, so, no so you're like a Milos Raonic fan? No, but I mean, I'm like I'm like a Pete I'm like a Pete Sampras fan. Oh, I mean, okay. no, no offense. Back. I don't know if anyone's a Milos Raonic fan, but <laughs> okay, that's okay, that's too far. No,
0: I mean, there's like three people in Canada who haven't heard about of Oliver FAA yet who are like, oh, man, like, what did you think about Milos. Peter Polanski? Like, <laughs> I really like that Polanski fella. And they're like, yeah. what about Milo? No, Milo's is funny. No, I, look, I, I like you, Milo's. Come on the podcast. No, I, I know. I, am,
1: I do, too. I was just messing.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, favorite city in the world.
1: Oof. Um, Wow, that's tough. <laughs> favorite city in the world. I mean, I would, I would, this is so biased. I mean, I, I like, you're going to be so pissed. I mean, I would, okay. I guess New York city. I'm going to be really basic. I was going to say Waco, Texas, but no, I s- New York city.
0: you can say Waco. Cause no, I say Waco. Te- I
1: honestly, I love Waco, Texas. Waco, Texas yeah. is home. And if you couldn't pay me a million dollars to say that my freshman year, but it's the truth. <laughs> no, or, I agree. I, I absolutely love it here.
0: It gets to a point where again, when you're in college, you're just like, this is the place you drive into the city now at any time. You're like, Oh, I'm home.
1: Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. That's exactly the feeling. That's exactly yeah,
0: So I feel that. all right, the I mean, I guess the answer is get on a flight, but the first thing you plan to do once graduated.
1: Yeah, get on a flight, go play some tennis. I mean, I think <laughs> um you know, I I didn't get to celebrate that much actually because we were at while all well, and my friends were celebrating, but um honestly, I don't feel like celebrating. I'm excited to go out there and and I'll celebrate when I win a Grand Slam. So yeah, so with that being said, dream venue to play at. Wimbledon. I think oh, uh, playing good center court Wimbledon is just, I mean, doubles serve volleying against On two the grass. Two, yeah. I mean, gosh, that's, that's That's getting me excited. I'm ready to go practice <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm
0: all in about it. All right. Well then I guess one last question for you and, uh, well, actually I got to get back to one. Do you have a Bolandism for me now?
1: Oh yeah. Uh, I got, I got to go one. And <laughs> so this is, this is Brian. All right. I'm going to do a complete imitation. <laughs> Michael, that's not how you feed. Michael, <laughs> that's not. You're doing it wrong, Michael. Give me the racket. Michael, <laughs> it's not how you feed. Oh, uh, is his
0: mullet still legit or is he juicing? Who? Coach Boland.
1: Oh, it's not a mullet. It's normal hair. He just wears a hat. Uh, <laughs> come on. He's full comb over. Bo- bo- no, come on. I- I don't- <laughs> He's team Brian. I just got a bowl cut. I ha- to be honest I have no idea about that. I honestly think he has a good set of hair. Yeah, like no, maybe I'm wrong. Operator. But I'm not I'm not 6 foot 2 like you are so I haven't seen over him, <laughs> you know? So like you might be there's, seeing something I'm not.
0: There's a nice crease. There's no denying <laughs> that. Uh, no. I'm a huge fan. I'm sorry, was,
1: Brian. That was yeah. not me.
0: I, like I said, you're, he's a fox. He could I'll do anything he asks. So I'm yeah. I'm, I'm starting to wear my hair like that just to copy <laughs> um, but yeah, no, um, I guess, Jimmy, I, again, uh, my last question to you for our listeners, because again, I did want to talk about your, uh, the way they can reach out to you. What is the best way that they can help support you along your trip? And what are, I guess, your final pitch for them about, you know, what you hope to achieve over your first, you know, for a couple of months and transition onto the pros?
1: Yeah, I guess to all the Crack Rackets listeners, obviously, just just keeping up, right? Sending sending congratulations or or saying that hey, you're following means everything to me. I think you know the more people I can touch, whether whether it's people that donate and support on the Make a Champ, or whether it's people who um, you know get to see me play tennis, get to be part of my journey, um, and whether it's a phone call or whether it's a Twitter message, um, all that means the world to me. So I think a- any way that you can reach out in terms of support. Uh, Whether it's, you know, anything, honestly, it means the world to me. So, yeah, I guess. And obviously the most meaningful would be the Make-A-Champ donation. You know, I'm looking for a $20,000 donation right now if anyone's interested. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, uh, yeah, I think the Make-A-Champ, I just actually posted my first update today. And that's where I'll be posting updates about um, basically my time on tour and basically the ups and downs of being a a professional tennis player. I'm going to be really transparent and really honest um so that everyone really gets to see what it's what it's truly like you know gets to see from the very beginning to the very end and I'm, I'm planning to do it till till the day i'm retired so
0: no absolutely yeah. and look again we at cracked rackets are so looking forward to following you up uh, i'm reserving the right 100 percent to bring you back on this podcast because i do have you know we could have gone two hours i have a full other list of questions i could ask yeah. you i know
1: you're not shy um,
0: is that
1: you know does that sound good to you yeah, I, I'm ready to come back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Look, no, yeah, I'm, of course. You know, our,
0: not, uh, with uh, our mini break pod, we're, uh, Rothman seems to have completely bailed
1: on us. So we're looking for a new Thursday host. Oh, my goodness. Just yeah. let me know. I'm I'm serious. I'm down for anything. So I'm Mike Cation,
0: <laughs> Noah Rubin, move over. There's a new show yeah, in town.
1: Noah Rubin? What's, what's he trying to do? He's only trying to make tennis <laughs> better? What? <laughs> if you guys want to listen to comedy yeah Come to exactly.
0: exactly you want to be entertained this is the place you want to learn your actually i feel like you can be entertained and informed both here and there but seriously jimmy thank you so much good luck to yep. you and again hopefully we'll get the chance to talk to you soon
1: it's been great i really enjoyed it thanks Alex. yeah all right and again good luck